Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Today is what? March 1st. You thought I was going to say that the Lord has made. And that certainly is the case. And I hope that uh, the blessings of God have followed you here and that they follow you home. Um, I just want to get right into our Sunday school lesson this morning. I've got a lot of material that I want to share with you. I, I think that in the day and age that we live in, we're constantly trying not to offend anyone. That's society's main goal anymore, to make everyone happy and to make, just throw everything into the pot, warm it up and see what comes out. But when I look at the Word of God, I see how distinguished and set apart that God was in establishing his church. And I want to talk to you this morning about the, uh, the religion of good intentions. And um, I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to come in and speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, today you have given us such a great opportunity to come into the sanctuary, not only to feel your presence, but to experience Pentecost and, and reinforce our, our focus on you. I pray for each person that's walked in through the store, Lord, whatever baggage they brought with them, whatever things are on their mind, that for the next 45 minutes or so, Lord, or half hour, that you just take those things away and that we can focus solely on what thus saith the Lord so that we can build up our faith and trust in you and that we can be a light that gives a distinct signal to this world. And we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We're all familiar with people like uh, Calvin, Ever hear that name? John Knox, Martin Luther, people that came up through the Reformation period that left a footprint on our faith, each receiving a little bit of revelation, as the scripture said, line upon line, here a little, there a little, bringing us into a deeper knowledge and relationship with God. I would... Uh, like to remind you that the Bible tells me that there are many voices in the world and that in Matthew, the 24th chapter, it talks about one of the things that would be predominant in the last days. And we've talked about this before, but more than ever, as we look at the news and we experience the news, we see that deception is, is so rampant. It's like, who do you believe anymore? It's, it's lying seems to become the the norm. I think of my horses at this time of the year quite a bit because I hate going out every morning and every night in the cold and doing all these things. And, uh, but this morning I was thinking about it's getting time for deworming and uh, they hate the worm medicine. They just don't like it. Matter of fact, when I look at it, the smell of it just turns my stomach. And I thought, boy, I, I know that they shoot this stuff right in their mouth. And I thought, what a terrible way to go. But they have to have it. So the only way that I can get them to take something that's unpleasant is to sugarcoat it. 
Oh, yeah, you've done it too with your kids. I put it in some nice, sweet feet, and it looks so good and smells so good, and they stick it, gobble it up, and then all of a sudden they stop eating, and they start sticking their tongue out like, what is this? See, the, the world is going to try to get you to accept things with a nice package. And you're going to find out once that it gets inside of you, it's not everything that they claimed it to be. But the word of God, the true word of God, is powerful. It's not always sweet, but it's always good. I look at the scripture in John, the first chapter, verse 17. It says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now we've, again, we've looked at this verse before. We know that Moses brought the law. And that at the end of the Old Testament, John was the end of the law. He was the last preacher of the law. When Christ was born, he brought two things. This first said he brought grace and he brought truth. Those things came by Jesus Christ. We also remember that the law served a purpose in our salvation. The law, the Bible says, was our schoolmaster which brought us to Christ. Now, I want to talk about some things this morning. If you talk to people in an ecumenical church, matter of fact, most all churches, and you try to talk to them about salvation, they're going to tell you some key phrases. Let me give you one of the scriptures that they'll quote to you. In Acts 15, verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall believe even as they. You ever hear, by grace are we saved, not of works, lest any man boast? Did they ever tell you that there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation? There's nothing, you just accept the Lord as your personal Savior, and you fulfill the Scripture, because the Scripture says, it's totally by grace that you're saved. I can look at it again at Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 8. Again, they'll take you to another verse, and they'll say, look at verse 8 here in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And what they'll do is they'll lay a foundation stating that salvation is full and free. And technically, it's, it is. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. What they're saying is you just accept it. You ever hear the terminologies, accept the Lord? Yeah, we're going to talk about that one later. I I don't know what he did that we need to forgive him, but we have to accept him as he comes to us. Okay, Lord, I accept you. Like we're in the place of judgment, I accept the Lord. Let me tell you something. The world turns everything upside down and backwards. It's all about the Lord accepting me. It's not about me accepting him. He's done nothing wrong. I was the outcast. I was the sinner, unbeliever. I need his acceptance to get into the kingdom of God. Because in Romans, the third chapter, verse 23, it says, For we all have sinned. 
and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let me point out another scripture. This is one they'll take you to. We're justified by grace through the redemption or the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now notice here it says through faith in his blood we have remission of sins. We declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. And what they'll do is they'll somehow twist these scriptures around to make it look like even remission of sins comes through the act of the cross, which it does. But faith and grace allow for remission of sins and acceptance of God, God's acceptance for us. Then in Acts, the 10th chapter. Now, I want to show you how this sort of changes. And I want to show you that it's not just grace, and it's just not faith. Here we have a scripture in verse 43 of Acts 10. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. Huh. Now we've talked about grace. We've talked about faith. And now we're talking about belief. Now we have three more elements that are involved in, in salvation. We're saved through faith. We are saved through grace. And now belief comes into play for the remission of our sins. But what do we do with the scripture that says, baptism doth now also save us? Is it possible that we could add this to the list with faith and grace and belief? Now we have baptism as being something involved in our salvation. Those that call upon his name shall be saved. Now we have another element. Now we have faith, we have grace, we have belief, we have baptism. Now we have calling upon the Lord to be saved. It, it, sometimes it gets so confusing to some people. If you look at salvation in another way, maybe it'll be a little less confusing. Every one of us got here this morning in a, in a vehicle. I don't think anybody walked here today. I hope not. But that vehicle that you drove here in or rode in is made up of a lot of different things to make it operate efficiently. Do you ever thank God for the door handle on your car? You better. You never get into the car without it. You're going to ride on the hood? How are you going to start the car? Can't even get in the car without the door handle. Is the door handle important? Absolutely. And then you get into the car, and the first thing that you do is you sit on the seat. Well, what the what seat? Well, what good is a seat? Well, what are you going to do? Kneel? If you're kneeling on the floor without a seat, how are you going to push the gas pedal? You need the seat so that your feet are free to hit the accelerator and the brake. Well, that's great. So we got two essential elements. What about the steering wheel? Well, that gives you something to lay your head on when you're a truck driver. 
Yeah, I thought I'd do one, just one. But what the point I'm making is all of the things that are there, even the key that you keep in your pocket, is essential to the operation of the car. Is it to say, well, we only need a key. If you've got a key, you're all right. Well, yeah, you need a key, but you need a door handle, and you need a seat, and you need an accelerator. And if you don't have a starter, well, you ever think about the starter? Well, what do you think is going to turn the engine over? What about the, what about the muffler, exhaust? What are you going to do, asphyxiate yourself when you start your car because all the fumes are going to come into... I know I'm being facetious, but salvation is based on more than just faith. It's based on a lot of things. Believing, grace, faith, baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, obedience, submission, humility. All these things make up salvation and get us from earth to glory. In Genesis, the fourth chapter, I read about a really nice guy, but he's about ready to get really angry with God, and he's going to become the first killer, the first liar. Well, maybe not the first liar. The Satan was the first liar. But he is going to be so upset with God because God is not going to acknowledge his good intentions. Now, a lot of people get upset and hurt when they have good intentions that are rejected. Well, I meant it. I meant it to be this way, and you rejected my good intentions, so I'm going to be mad at you. Let's look at the story in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Genesis. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the first fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the first firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you mad? Why are you wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now let me point out something. This was before the law. The law came by Moses. We read that. We're living in a time where there was no law. And here from the very beginning of Scripture, the Bible says, if you do well, will you not also be accepted? In other words, even the first sacrifice, the first cup family in the world, they had to obey God's command if they wanted to be accepted. But, you know, Cain has the same philosophy that religion has today. That if I show God that I really care about him and that I love him, and then I want to give him the things that mean the most to me, he'll accept me. So here's Abel over there raising his sheep like God has told him to. He's a, he's a shepherd, and the parents have already instructed the children that God requires blood in his sacrifices. But, you know, Cain's saying, you know what, I, I'm different than Abel. I don't raise 
sheep. I don't like animals. I love gardening. That's what's important to me. I want to give God something that is important to me. Is that wrong? Not at all. I think that's a great philosophy. Give something to God that means something to him. But the flawed part of that idealism in Christianity and in your relationship to God is God is requiring you to do something in a particular manner. He will not accept anything else that you bring. So he's saying, well, God, here I come, and I got, look at that asparagus. And the beets, I've never grown beets like that. And here it is. What do you think? Look how good I am. Denied. But you know, God had grace with him. He had mercy on him. Because God said to Cain, you know what? I'm going to let you do this again. Do what I've asked you to do, and I'll accept what you've brought, just like I accepted Abel. But here's where religion, cold-hearted humanism, religion, errs from the path that God's laid for us to heaven. They reply to God in the same manner, respond to God in the same manner Cain did. Are you kidding me? This is what I feel is important. And this is the way I'm going to come. This is, I'm not going to do what, what Abel does because I'm not Abel. I'm distinct, separate, and my own person. Humanism. I'm not under any authority but my own. So I have decreed, I have written the law, I have developed the theology that I should be able to bring to God what's important to me. Have you ever heard that philosophy before? It's all over. Even in salvation. Well, I come to God and I, 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 I actually I've even repented and I've cried and I've changed my life and I'm doing so many good things. I'm coming to God partially in the way that he, he wants me to. And you know what? So was Cain. He built an altar. He brought wood. He brought fire. He came partially to God as God required him. He wasn't doing it without an altar of sacrifice. And so Christians come and say, well, I'll do part of what God is asking me to do, but I'm going to, do, I'm going to add a little something that means something to me. If thou doest well, that was a really kind way of God to say, if you obey me. Jesus said it very nicely too, except he got a little harder near the end. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Look at even Adam and Eve. It says in verse 16 of chapter 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Let me ask you a question. Did he die that day? God instituted grace. He gave man grace and allowed a substitute to take his place so that God could provide a perfect sacrifice and remove the sin and take away the judgment. That's grace. But what did he require to obtain grace? Obedience. To obtain God's grace, what did they have to do? They had to perform a work. 
So the grace part was God saying, I'll hold off judgment, but grace was connected to works because to hold off judgment, you're going to have to make an animal sacrifice. You're going to have to kill it exactly the way I say you're going to kill it. You're going to have to have different animals for different types of sins and different events in your life. Without, if you do it any other way, other, different other way, grace is not effective for you. Something had to die. And in salvation, something has to die. Christ had to die. Christ died for the world. But also, he died for me as an individual. But what about my part in this act of death? Do I have to die? Well, absolutely. Romans 6 said we're buried with Christ in death. In other words, I die out to my old nature. I'm buried with him in death. I acknowledge his death through my repentance of self-denial, and I am buried with him, as the scripture said, in baptism. But see, people don't want to talk about baptism because it's symbolic of death, and they don't want to die. I, and I don't blame them. No, who wants to die? How many of you want to die here today? Maybe you can make arrangements after service. No, no one wants to die. Everyone wants to live. And when it comes to spirituality, no one wants to die. That's why it's so important to see the miraculous gift of God, even in the death process, for it says, God granteth men repentance everywhere, not to be repented of. In other words, God even provides the element that is essential in your death to make it, make it acceptable to him and not so abhorrent to you. Death is a spiritual act of God, allowing us to, to experience that spirit of repentance. When I look at um, John, the third chapter, verse 29, I want to point out some things in that scripture here that, uh, that are symbolic. He that hath the bride, the bride is the blood-washed church, is the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Christ. But the friend of the bridegroom, the friend is the law, or as in this case, John, representing the law, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. That's Christ. This, my joy, Therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must increase, decrease. He's basically saying God's grace and act of redemption in the New Testament, in that period of grace, must increase, but the law which brought death must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He must, I must decrease, he must increase. Well, you know, that's a good, that's a good way to live. That's a great principle. My will, even if I turn it this way, my will must 
decrease and his will for me must increase. The law brought death. My sin brought me to a place of judgment and separation from God. When I allow him to increase in my life and I allow myself to obey what he is directing me to do, not only does he increase in my sight and in my view, but he brings about a redemption and a regeneration in my life that allows me to live forever. Because Isaiah says, in chapter 64, but we are all is an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Do you hear that, Cain? Even at our very best, the very best you could give, you could give all the money that you have in your bank account today, and you could give it to God. And you could, you could give your body to be burned, as the scripture said, for someone else. But even if you did all of those things, it still would not be enough to earn you a place in redemption. Because the best you could do is still far below what God needs you to do. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. See, Cain was trying to bring something to God that God had cursed. Didn't God curse the ground? Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Where did the fruit come from? Something that was cursed. You mean to me, you tell me today that someone would actually bring something that God had cursed and give it as a gift to him? That's kind of foolish, isn't it? But they do that when they try to bring themselves to God and say, here, I'm your gift. Cursed is everyone. Well, let me put it this way so I get it more right. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and been separated from God. Our sin separates us from God, and sin is repulsive to God, and sin cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Why would I bring him something that was not pleasing to him. Do you, my life here, God, you got a great deal. I've been a sinner all my life, and I continue to sin. Here you go. No, that's not what he wants. He wants to see a life without sin. Remember, nothing that defileth shall enter into that place or into the holy city. Nothing. If I die in my sin and it's still sticking to me or in my life, is it possible for me to walk through the gates of that city in my sin? Absolutely not. That's why the Bible says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born of water, and you must be born of spirit. The physical regeneration and the spiritual regeneration. Both must be applicable to enter into the city, that new Jerusalem, that holy city. What did Cain bring? What do people, when they preach a message that all you have to do is accept the Lord and accept his grace, what do they bring to the table? Self-righteousness. You know, and some people think that by just living good, and living holy, that's, that's perfect too. 
But how did God feel about that? Was that enough? Just living right and living a life free from sin, is that enough? What about the man that was praying, the Pharisee that was praying? He boasted in all the things that he did that were in obedience to God's law. And he gave much alms in the offering. So he gave financially and he gave of his life and he dressed appropriately. And then here was this guy that was at the altar that didn't give hardly anything, ragged, but was, who was a sinner, but he was beating his chest and asking for mercy as he prayed and asked for forgiveness. The Lord says to his disciples, which prayer do you think God's going to hear? Do you think he's going to hear the one of the prayer where the person is boasting in his self-righteousness and saying, I'm certainly not, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. Uh-uh. I'm not like them. Look at how I dress. Look at how I talk. Look at how much money I give. Look how faithful I am to the synagogue. That's still in itself, even though it's good, it's excellent. It's not everything that God requires. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll develop a spirit of self-righteousness that even though we're doing the right thing, will cause us to be rejected by God. And people will smell that sort of a spirit as well. I remember, I'm going to tell this story, I told it years and years ago, so maybe some of you haven't heard it. Me and a friend of mine went on a motorcycle trip, and we went out to Colorado. I remember that trip because I rode my little Honda 900, and I would never do that again. That little bike, my, was, I was sore. <laughs> and uh, we got to Denver, and my friend decided to go one way, and I wanted to go down and hear <sighs> Brother A.D. Spears was speaking. Anybody remember A.D. Spears? Terrific preacher. He was preaching down in Pueblo, Colorado at their camp. And of course, I didn't bring any clothes except T-shirts and blue jeans and how much can you carry on a 900? So I, I drove down to Pueblo camp and, and I thought, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to be, I have no other clothes to wear, just my T-shirt and my jeans and hopefully it'll be all right. Well, they're pretty, they're pretty, um, Cognizant, that's a pretty nice word, cognizant of about how people dress there, kindly. And I remember I felt, here I am, a minister. I'm so, I look so bad, but I wanted to hear him preach so bad. Brother Spears, if you ever get a chance to listen, was a preaching machine, anointed. So I said, I'm going, no matter what they say. And I remember walking up, and I remember one of these ladies in her, she had, she was decked. I mean, she had, you wouldn't have wanted to be smoking near her because she would have blown up with all the hairspray she had on. And I, I mean, she looked really nice. And when she saw me walk into the doors, and they were doing it at the fair park, this building, the Coliseum, she looked at me and she went, <laughs> that's what I heard, like the exhaust on a semi. Well, that's cleaner, whatever. But anyways, that hurt me a little bit because I wanted to say, you know, I, I'm a preacher of the gospel. 
I'm, I may not look like it right now, but I'm, I'm a preacher and I'm here and I just want to hear him preach. And I said, Steve, let blow it off. Let it just get inside. Find a seat in the back so you aren't getting looked at. And I'll never forget how God, and I think God did this, double doors. I opened, she opened the first door, got in between. And remember, there's a big inside building, Coliseum, and there was a strong wind out that day. So she was opening the inside door, and I was opening the outside door, and a wind came through like a hurricane and lifted her dress right above her head. <laughs> Whew. And she was so embarrassed trying to push it down, I went, and I went, <laughs> But see, you can dress right. You can look right. But what about your spirit? What about your relationship with God? Where does, I better keep moving on. I only got about four minutes going on here. What about what God wants you to do? Look at the rich young ruler, young ruler in Luke 18 and 18. A certain ruler asked him saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That is God. Now notice what he said, that he, what he has to do to inherit eternal life. Now isn't that what we're talking about this morning? Aren't we talking about eternal life? Now some people say faith. Another person says grace. Some say you need to believe. And we talked about those scriptures. All those were there. Belief, grace, faith, baptism. But then he says some other things that he has to do to enter into eternal life. Oh, there's more? Well, I'm telling you, it's like a car. There's thousands of parts on the car. And he says, thou knowest the commandments. Here's what, now Jesus is speaking. He says, look at all the do nots. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. Wow, you mean there's more to entering into the eternal life than just grace here we have Jesus telling us there's a whole list of do-nots to do. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Wow, you're in, man. You've done all that stuff. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, said all that thou hast, sell all that thou hast, and distribute it unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Well, if I read the story grammatically, will he enter into eternal life? No, he says one more thing you lack doing. So what he's really saying is, if you would have even just done this one more thing, you would have inherited eternal life, if I'm reading that correctly. So you can have grace and faith, and have all, you can experience the mercy of God, and you can believe, but is that enough to get you to heaven? Well, what about baptism? We saw baptism essential. Baptism is, with, baptism does now also save us. Remember we quoted that? You can have all those things and still not get into heaven. The Bible says, obey my commandments. How many commandments are there? Read your Bible. There's a lot more than just seven or eight. So salvation is not just obedience, but it's a process that we follow. 
It's, it's very interesting on the day of Pentecost. And I, I just marvel that you can read this to some people and they just can't pick up on it. Peter's been given the keys to the kingdom of God. We read that in, well, actually, we haven't read it, but it is back in the, the New Testament, the Gospels. Whatever he binds on heaven, in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever he bounds on earth will should be bound in heaven. I'm trying to talk so fast that I'm stumbling over my words, but I only got a couple minutes. And these people experience that, that spiritual unction, that spirit of repentance, because it says they cried out, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? They interrupted him while he was preaching. The unction and the conviction that accompanied that spirit of repentance said to them, there's something I have to do. And Peter said, just believe on the, could have said, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he could have just said, just have faith in God. Just accept the grace of God. Because you've repented, your sins are already forgiven, so there's nothing else you need to do. But he got up and said, here's what you need to do. Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people like to mistranslate that and say, because of remission of sins. In other words, be baptized because your sins are already remitted. Well, that's like saying you're under the earth before you're buried. Think about it. If your sins are already forgiven, it's like saying you're, you're dead and buried, but now we're going to put you under the earth. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all through that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Why is it that we have a problem with that verse? because it doesn't fit into the religion of good intentions. We just feel if we're just, our intentions are pure, God will honor our intentions. No, God doesn't honor just intentions, even though they're important, but he honors obedience. <clears throat> obedience is greater than what? So you can bring all the sacrifices that you want, but your obedience to his commandments is more important than, that, than those. And I think I'm going to stop there because we're a little bit over, but I think you got the message today. Don't get frustrated because you're going to hear this everywhere you go. Good intentions. You know what, brother? Brother Dreska, say that I've met you for the first time. Just accept the Lord. Forgive him. Let him into your life. He's sorry. Just accept his grace. You've, you're all right. Just go on. Tell others about it. That's the ministry of good intentions. The ministry that we are to preach is the ministry that was delivered to the apostles and preached in the New Testament to the church age. And we cannot change it because the Bible says, if I change one thing, if I add one line or change one word, if I take one thing away, my name will be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. Do you want that to happen? Do you believe that scripture? Well, yeah. If I add one more thing for people to do, then what Christ has asked me to tell them, 
what will happen to me there? The plagues that are written in the book will be added unto me. So in closing this morning, do what God has commanded you to do. Nothing less and don't add anything more. And I think about the church, the New Testament church, when they were having a problem and they had a church board meeting. They were, we had people that were requiring the Gentiles to follow the law. And they were saying, you need to do, go through the ceremonial things of the law. And Paul, Paul was even doing some of those things still to appease the Jews. And what did they decide at that council? I'm trying to think of the church, the city that it was in. It was a Gentile church. What, did, what was the conclusion of their meeting? Not to require anything more of them than to abstain from blood that was sacrificed unto idols. Now it doesn't say, and the Trinitarians and some will tell you that that means we don't need to do anything. That's what they decided. This church was already saved. They were already born again. He was saying we're not going to put something on their shoulders that we couldn't even carry. So let's leave it at that. Thanks for being so attentive. Uh, God bless you, and you have a great service this morning. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.